0: to read in 2nd Samuel, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st 2nd Samuel, 2nd Samuel chapter 7, beginning with, with verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell your servant David, And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I make for you a great name. I will make for you a great name. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And... Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. But the time that I appointed judges over... From the time that I appointed judges over is over my people Israel. Sorry, the tongue's getting tired. And <clears throat> I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house... When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now we're going over to Luke Picking up where we left off last week in Chapter 1. So Luke, verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, Who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Morning again, church. Put this thing down. This is our fancy pulpit here at Wyoming Church of Christ. Um, so, uh, do you find the um, just curious? Do you find the well, the passage that Judy just read for us uh, the you know the events surrounding the birth of Christ? Do you find them exciting? Stimulating, or have they become eh, just a bit all too familiar to you? you? You don't, you don't deny that any of these things happened, but you've heard the story so many times every year. It kind of becomes like a predictable movie, right? Because you know how it all ends. Whilst you, you wouldn't deny the importance of these things, Uh, they just don't cause you to think or stir your affections, just sort of song perhaps that you've heard over and over again and it just doesn't stir you like it used to. So you'll put up with these Advent series each year because eventually in this church, we move on as you know to the real meaty stuff like the Book of Romans, Colossians, Revelation, things like that. That's where the real depth is at, but not these. so much these well-known stories in Matthew or, or Luke. Maybe that describes you. Maybe that's kind of the space you're in this morning. If that's the case, y- you have to know something. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the gospel writers, these aren't just accounts reporting the facts, though they are facts, but they are interpreted history. It's like our media today. Often it's hard to find media that doesn't give their slant on things. I will refrain from launching into a rant but they'll say, here is the story, and these people are awful and bad and evil, and we, whoa, 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 what's the story about, right? In a similar way, the gospel accounts, what we just read, are not just someone reporting the facts, no, they are the facts. They are interpretation of these events. Does that make sense? All history is interpreted history. In other words, The passage that we just looked at this morning is not just a a nice, cute little uh, story that we can have a nativity scene about or a little Christmas play. This is, in fact, Luke's theological axe to grind, you see. This this account teaches us rich truth about who Jesus is. It's life or death, you understand. Life or death for you. That's what he's saying. And so we read this account in Luke this morning and it's crafted, it's stylized in such a way to convert you or to comfort you. I mean, think about it. I know I, sound, I seem pretty excited off the gates here, but think about it. <laughs> Why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? I mean, Luke just highlighted that. Seriously, if we were to cut that bit out, sort of, you know, come in here and just rip that bit out of the Bible, would it do anything? Would it change anything? I want to hear your thoughts, actually. I want to hear your thoughts beyond just throwing it out. Just seriously, uh, I want to get some feedback. Is the virgin birth, is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? Is it important? And if so, why? So I, I'm not trying to intimidate you, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm or rhetorically ask. I'm just I know I can be a bit much up here, oftentimes so. But um, here. I'll just mellow it out a bit. Yeah, Clark said he would be fully man. He wouldn't be the son of God. He wouldn't, which related to that wouldn't, Rob said, he wouldn't be the son of God? That's right, anyone else? Why, why is this essential? Why is this important? Or is, or is this just something that, you know, conservatives get hung up on and we just need to get with the times, right? Yeah? We need to know the beginnings of things. Yeah, we need to know the beginnings of things. Yep, Yeah. Say that. That's right. That's the way that God designed things is for us to be married and to have children. That's right. Yeah, and, and Mary's pregnancy is a, It's a miracle, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's interesting, Luke here, I don't know if you noticed it when Judy just read, seems to kind of go out of his way to highlight the fact that she is not married, as my daughter said. Three times. Right? I, you have to understand, too, um, in the early church they didn't have these nice things. They had papyri scripts. Meaning it was like a dried piece of goat skin and you would have one little p- p- you know so much room on a papyri script. You still tracking with me? So if you're going to put like three times you're going to repeat yourself. It's not like you can just, you know, just keep printing. Ink and these papyri scripts were extremely expensive. So so in other words, to repeat something three times it's sort of important. That's that's that's, that's the point. Okay so clearly this is an important thing this concept and and remember and this is a brief passage so three times Luke's highlighted that but you remember in the very beginning or if you've read the very beginning first few sentences of Luke if you can turn there if you like it, it says that Luke he sets out to write an orderly account An orderly account of things on the basis of his careful investigation of the eyewitness accounts. In other words, this is not just mumbo-jumbo, emotional, chalked-up, cooked-up stuff. So, here's the deal, though. Right out of the gates, he wants us to understand this concept of the virgin birth. Because if the virgin birth is false then you have to explain the conception of Jesus by something other than the Holy Spirit, which means you're left with some human father and that totally changes Jesus' identity. He isn't divine anymore, is he? Can you see, listen, can you see how the validity, the trustworthiness of our faith actually hinges upon what Luke has given us here this morning? Where else in the New Testament is this given? By the way, well, it's it's in Matthew, but it it's hinted at I think in Galatians four. But where else is it? Remember, I you know I was kind of saying all the meaty stuff in Romans and Revelations. The theological principles are there, and we'll see in Hebrews it it. But the actual like I guess uh, divulging of it, explaining of it, isn't there. This is what we got. This is this is it. I mean, honestly, if this is false, you, friend, are wasting your time sitting here. And we're sunk. So this is essential. This is life or death, like I was saying. So this is what I want to do. Last week, Dan talked about the idea. Do you remember? What was Dan's subject? We're doing three W's for this Advent series. Last week was waiting, and this week is witnessing. That's right. And what I want to do when we talk about this idea of the virgin birth is witnessing the past and then witnessing the future. I, I was tempted to talk ghost of Christmas, past, present, and future. Dickens was in my head. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go, what does the virgin birth say about from the past? And then what, how is it significant both in Mary's time as well as for the future, for who we are, our faith now in Christ? So that's where we're headed. Why don't we pray before we we jump right into it? And we're going to jump right into the text. Let's pray together. Lord, we we pray that you would wake us up this morning. Lord, that you would shake our minds, uh, nourish our souls by your word, and help us to see the importance of of what St. Luke has given us here this morning. Not just information, but life or death, saving grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so last week, as I said, Dan, Dan, we looked at the birth of John the Baptist, right? And it was a peculiar birth story. His dad, Zachariah, is in the temple, right? And as he's in the temple, Angel Gabriel appears to him, and he says, look, man, I know you're old. I know you haven't had any kids yet, but one day, one day soon, actually, you're going to have a kid. Um, You're going to have a son. And he's not going to be an ordinary bloke, this guy, by the way. This this guy, this guy John the Baptist, he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Think about that. And he's he's not to, he's going to be, this is what's unique about him, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even as a baby. He is uniquely set apart to God. And then, you know the rest of the story. But six months later, that same angel makes another birth announcement. But it's not to some religious top official in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem is the epicenter of Israelite culture, okay? No, 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 no. This next announcement the angel flies over to a small farming village, a little backwater bush town that nobody's ever heard of. And he doesn't address some top religious figure, but a teenage girl. A teenage girl. And it's peculiar what he says. Very extremely peculiar what he says to her. He says, let's look here in verse 28. If you have your Bible there, Luke 1, He says, and, the, and he came and said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So he appears to this gal, mind you, one who isn't married yet, had any physical intimacy with a man, And he says, oh favored one, that's because Mary was sinless. I just wanna see if you're listening. I know, okay, good. Half of you weren't. That's sin, that's heresy what I just said. Mary is not sinless. Uh, Mary is a sinner just like us. But oh favored one means she's the object of God's grace, you see. She she is the chosen vessel for this demonstration of God's grace. Now, how odd this whole thing must have felt. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She could have been as young as say 14, give or take, right? 14 year old girl, out in the little, I don't know if you've ever driven around, there's like little bush towns around Australia, right? And sometimes these people in these towns haven't left say 50 kilometers maybe from their little town. So, especially back then, Here's Mary, 14 years old, and she gets visited by an angel, not just any angel, Gabriel. And what does Gabriel say? Greetings, favored one. I mean, you'd you'd be freaking out. I'd be freaking out if I was her. And then what does he say, right? I mean... Let me, okay, l- let me let me get this straight. Let me get this straight, Gabriel. You're saying, even though that I, I haven't known a man yet, I'm going to become pregnant. See, we're familiar with this. <laughs> Put yourself in her shoes. Uh, yep. Okay, right. And this baby is I'm to name him, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, and honestly, if that wasn't overwhelming enough, look, look how the volume gets turned up in verse 32. Notice what he, how he, what he says. We can, we can usually just kind of wash over this when we sit in our lounge room, right, and read the Christmas story, but, it, but look, at, look at the description that Gabriel gives. He says that concerning Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Again, a, a, a few things here that we tend to skip over. First, notice the description that Gabriel gives. This son will be great. Now he said that about John the Baptist, do you Remember? John the Baptist would be great, will be great. But Jesus is the Son of the Most High. That's a reference to God Almighty. And during this time, a son took on his father's qualities. So to call him the Son of the Most High puts Jesus on the same level as God. But notice also the other labels Gabriel gives here he'll receive the throne of his father, David. Now, again, I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting in my lounge room and I'm sort of reading this, I go, yeah, yeah, um, you'll receive, yeah, David, oh, cool, I think that's the guy that killed Goliath. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, cool. You sort of miss how loaded that phrase would have been. That this is really evoking, echoing, massive, Images from the Old Testament. This is a massive witness to the past. You see, Mary was a physical descendant of King David. You can picture her parents would probably sit around the table, as any good Jewish parents would, and talk about this coming Messiah and say, kids, listen, one day, one day, a Messiah, he is going to come and he is going to save us. Now, particularly Mary's parents, they could actually say this same Messiah is connected with our family line. Our family line. So he's going to come, I mean, it's not just them, but David's line is quite massive. You remember earlier when Judy read for us 2 Samuel 7, where God promised to build David a house, or better yet, a dynasty? That he would put on David's throne a son who would rule forever, you with me? It was that promise, that covenant with David that fostered this expectation of an ideal king coming from David's line. For example, you see in the book of Isaiah a new David who will be given God's spirit and have extraordinary wisdom and insight. I want to read a passage to you from Isaiah 11, but keep in mind, in Isaiah 11, when the prophet prophesies, when he gives this, King David is dead. Long gone. Worm buffet. Dead. Okay? So so look carefully. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father. David's father. Well, what's going on here? David's, David's gone. Notice, a branch from his root shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. See, Isaiah goes on to say that this, this figure, this son of David figure, will, he'll establish an eternal era of peace, justice, and righteousness. And listen, listen, he will sit on the throne forever. Does that sound familiar? What Gabriel just said? You see, this Jesus is in a direct line of continuity from all that was unfolding in the Old Testament. Now the day has finally arrived for him to come. And Mary, Mary, you will give birth to this Messiah. It's gonna be you. And she responds like any other sensible woman would. (laughs) How? (laughs) right? How can this be? Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin, since I know not a man? Mr. Gabriel, maybe you have the wrong address. I'm not a sophisticated biologist, but I know something that every woman in Nazareth every woman in Galilee, and every woman that's ever walked this earth knows, and the stork doesn't bring the baby. I can't have a child. See, from her perspective, given the laws of nature, there was no way that this announcement could come true, which means all is lost. That promise way back in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the snake. It's We've been waiting for this all the way back from Genesis 3. How's that going to come true now? It's not, at least according to her perspective. But that's why Gabriel says, no, 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 no. Spirit's got you covered. Watch this. Verse 35. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It was by the Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters that the original creation came into existence. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. There, in that uncreated state in Genesis, the universe is described as being formless, empty, enveloped in total darkness, until the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and as he did God spoke let there be light and the lights came on and the earth became filled with all kinds of creatures and the earth was formed shaped and structured by this all powerful creator did you know that Mary you would have been taught this by your parents and right now There's nothing in your womb, no form. It's empty, it's dark. But this same spirit that hovered over the darkness at the beginning will overshadow you. And by his power, you will conceive so that the son you bear will be the holy one. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, that's a miracle, Beautiful connection when you think about the spirit and creation and new creation, isn't it? Creation, new creation. That's what John does too, by the way. He connects in the very beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, etc., cetera, et cetera. You see how that's drawing us all the way back from the past? Now what about the present for Mary, and what about moving forward? Well, we've been given this promise. We've seen it. But what if all this is just cooked up, right? I mean that's a bit, I mean, as far as I'm aware, has this ever happened? I mean, didn't Buddha's mom become pregnant with like an elephant or something? I mean, wasn't there, isn't there other f- stories about, I mean, it didn't Anakin Skywalker, wasn't he born that way? You know? I mean, certainly, is this, is just kind of, is this just a cooked up thing? Last I checked, I mean, if you think, if we're going to trust the science, last I checked, uh, th- this don't happen. <laughs> right? Uh, I won't go into explicit detail, but you need a mom and a dad to have a kid. So maybe the church added this in later. Maybe Maybe they wanted to, you know, sort of, you know, put some neon signs around Jesus. Maybe they added this bit in. What do you think? What what would we lose? Well, we've we've already talked about that, right? Well, if, if, if this isn't true, Jesus can't be truly human and truly divine. Let's start there. If this isn't true, Jesus can't be truly, fully human and fully divine. If Jesus had not been born of a human, If he just sort of came down from heaven, like literally, without any human conception, he could not, how could we believe that he was fully human and experienced full humanity? At the same time, if his birth was just like ours by a human father and mother, he wouldn't be divine either. I think Clark hit that earlier. But why does that matter? Why do we need a Jesus to be both divine and human don't miss this because listen man owed a debt that only god could pay so the mediator had to be both man and god man so he could deal with the sins of man god so he could bear the infinite weight of the wrath of god There's only one way for that to have happened, and that is found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. There is a helpful book called the Heidelberg Catechism. I know that's a mouthful. The Heidelberg Catechism, it gives a series of questions, both for kids and adults, to think rightly about God. Here is question 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Question, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? Answer, he is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin mine since I was conceived You see if we get rid of the virgin birth Jesus can't be human he can't be divine he can't be our savior I would push it so far as to this if you deny the virgin birth I don't I think you have a a saveless savior I really do you have a toothless Messiah. I don't, I don't know how you can, you, you understand what I'm saying? I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to be mean, but I just don't see how, I know some people say, well, uh, I know some guys that don't really hold to the virgin birth. I, I, I would question if those people are actually right with God because what does it mean? <laughs> you see how? You see the, you see the entailment there? And Jesus if look, if, if if Jesus wasn't conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, he would be born like all the rest of us, which means he would be born into sin. Do you, do you, do you understand? When Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit, right? They weren't just kind of shrugging off God. They were saying, No, no, no. We want to be the king and queen. We want to be the masters of our fate. We're in charge. And from that time on, genetically, spiritually so to speak, sin has come down to every single one of us. We are all born in this world depraved and sinful. The Bible teaches that from the time Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin has been passed down to everybody. So catch this. Humanity needs redeeming that it cannot bring about for itself. The Savior must come from outside. Hence, Jesus was born of a virgin, not conceived by sinful man, and is unstained by sin. Listen to this verse. It'll make a little bit more sense in Hebrews. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who... All their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. Now listen to this church. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Does that make sense? Of the billions of humans who have ever been born, only one person entered the world through a virgin birth. If God himself is going to intersect our space and time history, take on our humanity, live amongst us, die amongst us, and be raised again from the dead amongst us, well, the way he would come into this world it would be none other than a miracle. Because people say, well, I have a really hard time even just biologically believing in this. Well, yeah, that makes sense. People don't rise from the dead either. (laughs) Right? It's a miracle. You understand that Friend, you and I, all of us, were separated from God because of sin, because of our sin. And, and our only hope of forgiveness was for someone completely innocent to take the punishment of all of our sin. You see, such a perfect life and perfect love was impossible for any human to achieve. So God himself did it for us. God himself did it for us. He sent his son from eternity into mortality. From glory into flesh. From throne to manger. He who is mighty has done a great thing taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness, and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. I want us to look here as we come back to this story and, and look at Mary's response because it's it's quite amazing, really. And behold... Verse 36 Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Notice Mary's response. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response reveals a lot of her character, does it not? Now this was no simple matter. Oh, you're going to become pregnant. Oh, am I? And the child in you is going to be the son of God. <laughs> it's just, that's unreal. But her posture says, I'm the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. We've seen a witness from now, the past, the present, and that same witness because of Christ's work, his perfect life affects the future for those who trust in him. If you're here this morning and you are trusting in Jesus alone, you don't trust in a fable. You don't trust in a a sentimental idea. You trust in a valid truth. He who is mighty has done a great thing taken on flesh, conquered destiny, sting, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Let's pray. Lord, it, thank you for this opportunity just to reflect upon this miracle of the virgin birth. In our own laziness and and our own sinfulness, Lord, we, we just, we tend to just quickly pass these things up and don't sit and reflect enough. Forgive us. Lord, we pray that for those of us that have been called by you and saved, Lord, we ask that this truth would sink deep in our hearts, that we would have a posture of of worshiping you and wanting to share this good news with the world around us. Lord, we pray that for those sitting here now, that it wouldn't just be information, Lord, but it would be heart transformation for them and that would actually affect the way that they want to live and behave even this afternoon, the rest of this week and their whole lives. Yes, I pray these things for your glory's sake. Amen.